with this. Actually, my oldest grandchild, Una, is a LARPer. And I love yeah, that. <laughs> she's this little petite, tiny little 13-year-old fierce LARPer. It's awesome. Yeah. Your grandkids sound badass. The, 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 <laughs> they're pretty great. No, she's awesome. She's she sings. Steven Universe is her favorite show, so she knows all the Rebecca Sugar songs. Um, I like. I want to bring out all my shirts and all my <laughs> fun stuff from that show. Um, I mean, even as an adult, I adore that show. Oh, um, largely you can largely because it it's a is lovely so show. inclusive. It's brilliant. and so like heartwarming and all that and stuff. all the love for rebecca sugar and her songwriting she's so great so actually right. um during parts of the pandemic i couldn't produce my usual release parties in a in the physical realm because it just simply wasn't mm -hmm. safe and i'm not in the business of getting my friends sick so right. we we did some virtual ones they're called circs i can direct you to them but there, there's one where um oh actually no it's on a podcast episode our thanksgiving podcast episode where una treats us to um her cover of giant woman from steven universe so and gonna, she plays I'm ukulele <laughs> and sings it i might have to help you find it i think it was yeah, well, it was the one that came out right after Thanksgiving, and we recorded it that weekend, so it's easy to find. And, and she's yeah. in our introduction doing that. Hello, 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 and welcome to Better Left Unsaid. Um, today, I have a very special guest with me. Um, hello, Elizabeth. Hello, Zach. So nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you. So you are the co-founder and editor of uh, Meat for Tea, The Valley Review, Correct. and the host of the Meat for Tea cast. Correct. And editor also of, we have a chapbook press, so Meat for Tea Press. Chat nice. Books. And then producer of the multi-genre gala events put together to celebrate the release of each, each issue of my quarterly publication. So That's fantastic. That's all, just those few things. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I'd, I'd be lying if I said, or uh, yeah, I'd be lying if I said that I wasn't impressed by all it seems you've had your hands in um, just talking to you outside of this. Uh, you seem to have done or keep doing a lot, which I find uh, very impressive. Thank you. I, I guess it's all stuff. It's stuff I enjoy doing. So I, I can't imagine not right. doing it. So it doesn't, I mean, it, it is work. I don't want to say it's not work, but it's, it's fun work. I think that's something we all kind of strive for, especially more recently with, you know, labor shortages in quotation marks um you know with people finally standing up and saying i'm not getting paid enough to do something that i don't enjoy doing right 
Um, although one thing about doing something you enjoy in the arts is um, make your peace with not being rich. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Disabuse yourself of that notion. There, there's a joke in the publishing community, um, how to make a small fortune in publishing. Start with a large one. <laughs> I, I live for that. Honestly, though, I, I wonder how, how dissimilar that is from, you know, I was talking to my partner's sister, who's much younger than we are. Um, and she was talking about how she wants to get into business and how she wants to be successful. And I was like, look at Jeff Bezos, look at Bill Gates, look at all those people. Be better than them, at least morally. As far as starting a business in a garage, they started with also like hundreds of thousands of dollars of seed money from, you know, rich mm -hmm. parents and things like that. So, yeah, and be better than them is actually kind of a low, low bar morally. Right. 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 <laughs> I agree. Not an especially high bar. And yeah, there's that whole. Steve Jobs mythology of just this little DIY thing in a garage, which completely sidesteps and overlooks the fact that this is a young white boy of privilege. Absolutely, from wealth. Born into every single imaginable advantage. Mm-hmm. So to tell this like an everyman story is well, it's just a lie. I think that's why I live for uh, particular figures. We look at Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who was love, a bartender. Love. Absolutely. Bow down. I adore her right. so much. Right. I, w I would love to just get a drink with her. Like just, Me too. Just like oh have a drink, have a fun or night two. out. So oh, much. Oh, yes, absolutely. So much. Yeah, she's on my list of people I'd like to go out for a beverage with. Um, Barack Obama and Michelle seem like they'd be fun to go out for a drink with. I would I have think. them down for a game night. Just like playing totally. board games. That would be fantastic. Totally. It'd be so much fun. Yeah, Kamala seems like she wouldn't suck to have a drink with. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think Nancy Pelosi would probably be a fun one to throw back some beverages with. I think she would get more fun the more beverages you have. Right. Definitely. <laughs> Just start with martinis and you won't need to have many. I I live for a good martini. Me too. It's been a while since I've had one. <laughs> Same. Same. I need just to get get over it and be a real grown-up and invest in a cocktail shaker because they're truly not difficult to make. Well, luckily enough, my partner spent some amount of time as a bartender, so we have a cocktail shaker. We just don't Yay. have the ingredients. I just need to get just all the gin. vodka, gin, uh, vermouth, some olive juice. I love for a dirty martini. I like mine utterly dry. I don't want any olive juice hmm. anywhere near mine. I stand I, with your right to a dirty martini, though. I stand of course. for that. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's definitely, uh, I'm definitely an odd one in the bunch more times than not with with my liking for dirty martinis. 
Well, I don't know. I, I think there's a, a pretty even, even divide in the population. As far as vermouth goes, there, there's a food writer, was it MFK Fisher, who said the best way to get the right amount of vermouth into your martini mm -hmm. is simply to store it in your liquor cabinet in front of the gin, just so the light shines through the bottle. And that's enough for me. <laughs> that's all you need. <laughs> you don't need any more than that. <laughs> it gives me very LaCroix, any sort of those uh, uh, seltzer waters, uh, very much uh, ghost of whatever fruit flavor it is. Right. <laughs> like Really, if, if you just have enough vermouth, just to swish it around your glass and dump it out, that's enough. I, the drier I the better. <laughs> I mean, depending on the quality of your gin, which you don't want to skimp on. Right. Go for the Bombay right. Sapphire, or we've got a local distillery here, Murma, that does a good job on Ooh. their gins. Yeah. And we got all the beer distilleries down here. We got St. Arnold's, though. St. Arnold's is uh, not one to I'm scoff not at. Familiar. I guess, why would I be? This, this right. Yankee girl in Massachusetts. <laughs> Well, we have, if you uh, ever come down to Texas, if I on the off do. chance, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I need to get over my fear and loathing for everything south of the Mason-Dixon border. <laughs> right, but, right. But the bulk of what's happening down there politically keeps reinforcing my already existent fear and loathing. Well, it's I mean, as I mentioned killed. before, right, as I mentioned before, we are fully looking outside of the, the state now to find better jobs and all that stuff. Uh, so the sooner we can escape um, all the craziness and... If you come up here, let me know. I've got a nice population of all the artsy people you'd ever want to know to put you in contact with. I love that. Fantastic. Right? <laughs> That's the community I hang out with. That's the best community to hang out with. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody I know is either a writer, an artist, a musician, performer. Right. Every, just about every single person. And that's the way I like it. Awesome. So, you've listened to the podcast before. I have. I'm, I think a three couple times of episodes. Now. I very much enjoy it delightful year. I'm glad you do. It's so much fun. It's a super fun listen. I try to make it as fun as possible and the best way to start is with an embarrassing story. So since you are the guest, by all means. All right. Well, I have a couple. I guess I'll pick the celebrity one now. So there's, there's a period of time some years ago when noted author Kurt Vonnegut lived in our town. Right. That's when I was living in Northampton, Massachusetts. He actually lived on our street. And as it happened, I waited for the school bus with my youngest daughter, who was then um, a first grader, then a second grader, at the same bus stop with his daughter and his granddaughter. Mm -hmm. So that all was happening. And then he came to town and a local gallery, R. Michelson Galleries, 
did a big exhibit of his artwork, his paintings, and the Northampton Brewery, as you know, we've got a ton of craft breweries in this neck of the woods. They right. made a couple of Vonnegut beers. And of course, I had to go to the art opening. And I didn't have a childcare option for Aaron, who I think was just seven at the time. So I brought her with me to the opening. And we walked around and looked at all the paintings. She really didn't want to go, but I didn't have childcare, and I wasn't going to not go and say hello to Kurt Vonnegut while he's in town. So we walked around and looked at the paintings. I tried one of the beers named after him, and then it became time to queue up and shake his hand and greet him. And I really don't like to fan out. I like to find the personal things. So I just simply told him, hey, it's just been a delight getting to know your little granddaughter and your daughter at the bus stop where we wait every day. <laughs> and that was it. Just shook, shook his hand, you know, welcome to Northampton. And um, turned around to walk away. And we were nowhere near out of earshot. We were maybe three feet away when little Aaron piped up and seven-year-olds, when they pipe up, they can't say, can we go now, mommy? These paintings are no good anyhow. Oh, no. <laughs> just, you know, she might as well have just said it directly to him. So it's a little embarrassing, but there's a, a redemptive element to this story where, um, her big sister, my older daughter, was friends with his grandson. They hung out together mm -hmm. after school, and she was actually at his grandson's house for dinner that night, and Mr. Vonnegut himself came home, and he said the best part of that whole art opening was that little redhead girl, that's Aaron, speaking true about his artwork. Oh, <laughs> Because he's so used to people being like, you know, bow down and worship Mr. Vonnegut. Right. Of course, now, now he's no longer with us, but so many people would just like fan out hard, which um, I actually saw a fellow do that who I know just, you you changed my life, your books. And Kurt was just like, uh, yeah, so I wrote a few books and like walked right. away. He finds that <laughs> deeply mortifying. So that's that's that embarrassing story. I mean, first off, kids say the darndest things, and I know they are actually, honest. They I actually just say posted what they a think. right. I actually posted a Twitter uh, message or a Twitter I need post. To follow uh, you on Twitter. You do. You I do. must. I must. <laughs> yes. Um, I actually posted a embarrassing story, which I'm going to start doing Thursday. So if anyone follows us on Twitter, I'm going to try to start doing throwback Thursdays, but only embarrassing stories. Fantastic. Um, or at least that's my goal, you know, outreach and all that jazz. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like it. But I, it was a story. We were at a restaurant. I was maybe five, four or five. And my parents, as they do in the like late nineties, whispered and oh blah 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 blah, you know, people watching. Um, and a girl walks past with her family, teenage, uh, not too 
far from uh, my own sister and she had colors in her hair and you know that was up and coming in the late 90s punky, but it was still punky very girl. yes it was still very punky it was still very alternative which is wild because now a majority of my friends color their hair on a regular basis uh, oh yeah it's, it's just common my, my hair is it's a natural brunette color because I started to find even though I was I was a punk rock girl back in the day I started to find mm-hmm. the punky covers just so done Right. But everybody's doing it. I'm like, well, then, okay, I guess I'll stick out by having natural colored hair. I mean, that's that's what I'm currently living for, so. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but she, the girl had passed, and my mom tries to whisper to my dad, um, I would never let my daughter have hair like that, which I forgive them. It was the early 90s. They right. have since become uh, much more... Uh, open and accepting evolved um, well they have a very very queer flamboyant son who does drag and they've shown up to drag shows so i i give them some amount of props for evolving from from That's back fantastic. then um but my dad didn't quite catch it didn't quite catch what my mom said so he goes huh and me being um me uh go and little oh absolutely no shit (laughs) um mom said she never let a girl have her hair colored like that (laughs) (laughs) nice and loud to make sure (laughs) oh absolutely right Um, fully this girl and her family all turn and just give death glares (laughs) um so yeah kids say the darndest things <laughs> they, they just pipe up with everything i mean the, the kurt vonnegut one's a more notable one but there's so many there's my son in line at the grocery store with me and there's a woman of a certain weight standing in line in mm-hmm. front of us and he was probably five the same age you were when that happened and Five-year-olds are basically butt height to the rest of the world. Right. The the adult world. So this woman is standing directly in his line of vision. He's like, Mommy, that woman's butt is so huge. Just like, and he wasn't judging. You know, the tone in his voice wasn't mean. It was more like he was marveling or just wondering at, like, the possibility of such a thing. That was his tone. Like wow, that's 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 impressive. I I think that's part of the reason why. I mean, I I was a children's entertainer for a number of years. Um, I love that. For my dad's for my dad's company. Uh oh, the clown. I still have the nose somewhere. Aww. Um, that's so cool. It it was a blast. It was always a blast, and I just remember there was one magic show I did. And of course, I asked the kids, okay, what magic word are we going to all say together to do the magic? I was at a show, and there was maybe a 10-year-old, who's 10-ish, um, he shouts over everyone, osteoporosis. <laughs> <laughs> and I about That's so laughing. awesome. That's so good. And 
unfortunately we didn't pick it but i i it was definitely something that i still remember to this day uh, that's so good being so funny such a good magic word osteoporosis he was probably proud of himself for having mastered that multisyllabic word right 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 absolutely yeah i also give major props to kurt vonnegut for being able to look at a small child who absolutely just trashes his work on the way out <laughs> being able to look at that and be like it's a kid it's a kid yeah. she's a little girl I am going to take it in stride. I'm going to laugh at that later. I'm going to tell that story because yeah. I, I I would be surprised if he didn't tell that story more than just to his family. I, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if she became somewhat legendary among his colleagues at all. And I don't know, there's, there's a documentary streaming on Hulu right now I think it's called Unstuck in Time and it's all about Kurt Vonnegut it's it's beautiful but um you get the sense that that's the kind of personality he had anyway he would be the right. first one to laugh at himself and I don't know if you've read him much but all of his books are gently laughing at the human condition right so that's a recurring thing. Very satirical. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Satirical and also um laughing in the face of raw horror. You know, he was a prisoner of war right. during the bombing of Dresden. So, you know, that that's that's a thing to and it's from that experience that he got Slaughterhouse Five. Right. But but that's really a thing to give a not an altogether light treatment as a complex but there, but there's lightness to the book and you know every time there's a death there's and so it goes and right. so it goes because that the death was just the oh there's another one and there's another one and so it goes so right. that's the kind of intelligence he had that's his personality so i think she was doing if he could have scripted his favorite art criticism that might have been the thing. Might have been it. Well, that's just fantastic, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that's a wonderful story. Thank um, you. I'm glad you liked it. I realized <laughs> I'm a lot older than you are. I think you're the same age as one of my kids, actually. But in my 59 years life, preparing for this, I, I just went back through everything I could remember. And I only have, like, two embarrassing memories that one and one other and my takeaway from that is either i'm just simply not easily embarrassed mm -hmm. so a lot of things just don't count as embarrassing to me right or um maybe i just don't act a fool all the time although i don't think that's likely i think it's probably just that i'm not easily embarrassed i think that's something that I sort of always wanted to create with this podcast is uh, the idea that everybody has embarrassing stories. Everybody has done things that they're not necessarily proud of yeah. um, or experienced things that, you know, they wish 
if time could reverse, you know, they would do something differently. But I think the idea that we all have them is something that unites everyone. Definitely. Um, and I think the idea of not talking about them is just so, so silly to me because you walk into a grocery store, everybody in that grocery store, or at least quite a large amount of people have probably done a lot of the similar like embarrassing things or been through similar embarrassing yeah. things to you. And I just, I think finding common ground through, uh, you know, looking back and seeing humor at what, what has been done. I know uh, if you ever end up listening to some of the older episodes, uh, you learn a whole lot about me. Um, <laughs> I'll have to dig into the back catalog. Um, but yeah, I, I've always just loved sort of that aspect of sort of not necessarily criticism to the point of like self-degradation, but definitely looking back and finding humor and like, huh, yeah, that, that was funny. Yeah, it's just, it creates such common ground. Mm-hmm. That's my goal. <laughs> I love it. I think it's a very beautiful goal. Well, thank you. Um, so getting into the topic, because we do have a topic, um, okay. we're talking about composition. We are talking about composition. And, you know, because my background is as an English professor, of course, my, the first place I go is just the dictionary. And um, if you just look up what it is to compose, mm -hmm. it's to arrange or organize largely so you can compose your thoughts there's right. um the tradition largely french of the composed salad hmm. like a salad niçois a, a composed salad it's it's beautifully arranged on the plate yeah so there's that there's to compose and uh, once you think about all the different ways you can do this like a piece of music once again at its root, you're arranging disparate elements right. into, and talk about music, into a harmonious pattern then in, in right. visual art. What is it to make a composition? Again, you're taking the elements and you're arranging them harmoniously. I think uh, one definition that I found uh, for composition that I actually really liked, um, just maybe the phrasing, but the nature of something's ingredients or constituents, the way in which a whole right. or mixture is made up. And I, I like that just because of the aspect of everything in some way, some aspect being a composition. Um, right. I mean, th there's a lot I mean, of like accidental compositions that are some of the most beautiful you can ever find, like nature, um, look at the spirals on a sea, seashell, or look at right. a pine cone, and there's, you know, about Fibonacci's spiral. Mm -hmm. Of course, that there's, there's that, just repeated over and over again, and talk about a harmonious design. Right. Occurring right, absolutely. spontaneously. 
Well, I mean, and even going so deep as to say that people's personalities and the way people turn out is literally a composition of everything that they've been through in their lives or things that they haven't necessarily been through but are genetic and make up some aspects of themselves and all those things creating the composition of a person, which right. I, for, for whatever reason, I, I was just thinking about that. And I no, I, I, like, oh. I absolutely love that. And then it's there's really the whole, like, what is it to compose your thoughts or to achieve a state of composure, mm-hmm. you know, which is calm. And these are all, you know, related words right. and, you know, through, through meditation, might you become more composed? Right. And then I know I definitely, anytime I have, you know, weird arguments or tension with my partner, it's, it. there is benefit in finding composure and taking a step back and reflecting and seeing what all the parts of, right, what all the parts of what just happened, what that was made up of and pull out the parts that are me and say, okay, I need to do better about these parts of this right. issue. And again, that's kind of making a composition out of that whole circumstance. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, as things would have it, my PhD studies were in a field called composition rhetoric, which translated for laymen not to sound snobby, but I think a translation is useful. I, I need I need the translation. <laughs> I need the translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's writing and the teaching of writing. So so my bag was really specializing in thinking theoretically and deeply about what goes into those required first year writing courses. You know, your comp one. Right. And your comp two. So I, I thought about um, composition very formally and academically on that level too right so it's it's what? a good it's a good theme for me <laughs> well i i mean i'm a designer so composition is definitely something and i know uh like the rule of I know three that, oh absolutely that's key. absolutely um but even looking at I think after like the first two years of my undergrad, suddenly seeing objects not just as their function, but all the different aspects of why they are the way they are, why they look the way they look, what the person was possibly thinking whenever they were making that. Um, I know, um, I and this sort of ends up bleeding into my my master's because I was doing supply chain. So we were doing case studies on businesses and uh, masters of supply chain, one of which um, is Ikea. Mm, And interesting uh, how everything at Ikea is designed specifically to be cost effective, which most design, you know, they do cost effective pretty well. And easy to ship mm, so can you can break it down mm-hmm. you can lay it flat pack it up in compact forms 
if you look at any sort of cups, glassware at Ikea, it's all really, really easy to stack. Yeah, a, a, a fair amount of our our furniture actually is Ikea. <laughs> because, well, a lot of reasons between my husband and I, we have like over 2,000 albums of vinyl. We're huge mm -hmm. vinyl collectors. So there's Ikea cubes that works super well for that. And I have right. many, 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 many books and their shelves are sturdy and affordable and I'm sitting at an Ikea dining room table and I'm actually sitting on an Ikea chair and <laughs> come to think of it Zach I'm pretty much surrounded by yeah there's some other things in with the <laughs> Ikea but there's a fair amount of Ikea I challenge all the listeners right now to just take a look around. What are you sitting count on? The number, <laughs> count, count the number of IKEA IKEA furniture pieces. Oh my god! Because I am pretty sure I have at least four in the room that I'm in currently. I mean, if I count the individual chairs, I'm up to six already. The table makes seven. The bookshelf <laughs> across from me makes eight. The vinyl shelves in the living room nine, ten. There's probably a dozen in this house. Wait, we sleep on an Ikea bed frame. No, my son, my, my husband's son sleeps on an Ikea bed. Our bed was actually given to us by a rock star. <laughs> oh. Julie uh, and friend. Um, th th there's just a lot of those to be found in this area. But um, Julie Caffritz, who is with um, Pussy Galore back in the days. So I can hook you up with links. Pussy Galore is fun. Yeah. They're awesome. And that. More recently, First off, I just love that name, but... <laughs> I, I, I feel like it should be a drag persona for someone. I don't know if anyone's adopted it for that, so I think it's up for grabs. I am certain it is. I uh, I know my... Pussy Galore, uh, what a great drag name. Right. It's classic. I mean, my drag name uh, came from Siri. What's uh, your drag is, name? So, uh, Elameo. Elameo. Oh my God. I love it so much. So, uh, so for a clever. point in time, for a point, well, thanks Siri for being clever or not being able to understand my dictation. Um, for a point in time, my phone was on the fritz, so I could only type through dictation. Oh, and no. anytime I would say LMAO, like laugh my ass off it would autocorrect to Ella Mayo. And I was like, yep, that's it. That's that's the name. See, this makes me want to revive the Kilbasa sisters, but then I'd have to get you proximal to me because um, <laughs> the character name I made up for myself in that postmodern cabaret duo was Elsa Kilbasa. And what would go better with Elsa Kilbasa than Ella Mayo. Right. Um, They're just I like know. a sandwich made in heaven. Well, uh, one of my closest friends who I've had since basically birth, um, he also has done drag. He's a bit more of a makeup enthusiast than I myself am. And uh, his drag name is Irma Gord. Oh my God. <laughs> 
Ermagog. <laughs> does everyone react to it that way? Does everyone do that? It, did I just do what every single person does? <laughs> yes. 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 Because it um, triggers whenever, that. It's like Pavlovian. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my God. Whenever, whenever he told me about it, I immediately was like, Oh my God, you bitch. <laughs> I it's love just that genius. so much. I love it so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I, I just love, <laughs> love all that. I love, I love where things come from and I love being able to look at things and be like, I understand this. Right? I understand this on a deeper level than I feel like most people may um which i always find really interesting and i think it makes things more fun mm -hmm. you know if everything's just all surface to you and i i can think of some some people in the world on fox news that appear to not have a lot of layers to their thought and just be you know all all surface all the time like i don't yeah. know <laughs> perjury Taylor Green comes to mind. And, oh my gosh. Ugh. I'm sorry, I can't recall. I can't recall. I wish I could forget her ugly face. But anyway. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think when you're able to see layers and dimensions and origins of things, it's just there's a whole richness there that's so much more fun, so much more entertaining. I know uh, my partner, and it always sort of inspires me. He uh, very much lives for history and lives for art history and um, sort of looking at, right? Um, looking at like Greek and Roman and deities and things like that, um, mm. which I always find interesting. And I know his dream job would be... Uh, being some sort of art curator or graphic designer for a museum, a history museum, um, which that's a pretty good dream. Job. We've been looking, we've been looking, because um, I know, I know he would shine. Oh my god! I think a position actually was it at the Smith College Museum of Art. I think someone stepped down from their post in a position opened up there not too long ago. Hmm. Actually, but I, I, I don't know their rules. I don't know if you have to be like an alum or somehow affiliated with that. You know, it's, right. it's, it's a pretty snobby, I mean, it's a venerable institution, I just don't know. But no, right. that, that would be, did you ever, when you were a kid, read the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler or did you see the made for TV I did movies? not. Okay. I did not. Just go back and read it now. It's a chapter book meant for middle graders, so it'd probably take you, you know, an hour or two of an afternoon. <laughs> right. Very enjoyable. But it's about this little these two little kids, um, Claudia and her little brother. I guess she's eleven. And they run away from home, just looking for adventure. There's not really anything so terrible happening at home. And they spend the night at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. There is a part of me that is almost uh, triggered because, or uh, triggered in a good way as far as I, uh, I'm almost recalling something. 
You might have. Uh, there similar. was a movie actually starring Lauren Bacall playing Mrs. Basil E. Frankweller that was airing. It was probably still on when you were a kiddo. It, it reappears. Maybe I did. Maybe I did watch it like many, many, many years ago. It's amazing. It's just amazing. But she is. They find this extremely wealthy old lady who's got just these vast, vast mixed up files mm-hmm. of all this art history and Claudia finds an angel and I don't want to spoil this story for you but she finds a little angel sculpture but anyway there's this whole like detective uncovering like what is a truly priceless classic work of art and it's, it's yeah amazing but that whole experience in the way that spending the night in the Metropolitan Museum, like in some 15th century king's bed with the tapestries and everything. It's just so... I almost... I'm, I am almost certain that I've seen it. I'm uh-huh. almost certain that I've seen it. Yeah. Um, because that it, is definitely ringing so many bells. Yeah, it's so delightful. It's so, de- it's so delightful. And it just kind of encapsul- encapsulates... I mean, being employed in a museum... And having a role in the design and the curation, that's all lovely. But the the forbidden interaction, right, with the things on display, like actually using the things and sleeping in the beds, and <laughs> just this, this is the stuff we really want to do, but you know we're not right. going to, because that would lead to a, a really embarrassing story. Yeah. Maybe you'll get someone one of those. Got, oh my gosh. <laughs> There's a time someone when someone being <laughs> pulled out of a museum for knocking over the dinosaur bones. Right? For messing <laughs> with the artwork. <laughs> yeah, there, there's something about that. I think it's something we all just kind of want to interact with that stuff that's behind the velvet ropes. Right. I mean, how I would say how dissimilar is, is that from like interacting with a celebrity um, in that they it's almost sort of untouchable just because it is so venerated. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose we have so many people in our circle who are actually like rock stars. Right. Noted, but they're, they're just friends and they're just people we know and they are just at the end of it all just people right and they actually really appreciate being treated that way yeah yeah again though i don't just people i mean you don't want just any old person coming up and just engaging you in conversation just because they saw your face somewhere right there has to be some level like of connection. I feel like that's sort of, and uh, honestly, somewhat of a movie trope or a story trope of like seeing some sort of seemingly out of reach person and either pretending not to know them and that leads to a whole thing or someone, they interacting with someone and being so enamored by them Partially because they don't know them. Like, yeah. 
yeah like falling for someone because they don't know that that person is rich and famous and yeah well i mean it's it's kind of related to um everyone gets crushes on their teachers mm. you know there's a, and when i was teaching i got to observe a few students acting like they had crushes on me and of course i just ignored completely like just absolutely I am, <laughs> I am captain oblivious i see none of this at all because in the parallel that you can draw is that the thing they have a crush on is a highly organized really has her shit together version of myself because they'll see me for what 90 minutes or 50 minutes depending on whether right. it's a Tuesday, Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday section. And I'm getting paid for that time. And you better believe I have a plan and a tightly organized one. And I'm going to be showing my A game and right. keeping them engaged. And that's a construction. Mm-hmm. Or to go back to our theme, one could say it's a composition I put together. I mean, for the benefit of my composition students, (laughs) layer it up. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So, and I've I've known of professors that would actually cross that line and date their students. I I just think it's it's a weird abuse of power, and it also just kind of yeah, it it lets them think that that thing they saw. I mean, they're they're in love with. Oz in front of the curtain, not behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And they don't need, you know, that's that that shit's none of their business. There's a, um, a funny Mean Girls quote that I was thinking about um, <laughs> whenever we first started talking about recording. You were telling me that uh, you used to teach uh, English. Um, it, it was almost or they they end up seeing one of their teachers in a mall mm. like just like doing her own thing where she was like working at a like shonies or something being a person and right and they're like gosh i love seeing teachers outside of school it's like watching a dog walk on their hind legs <laughs> yeah this, this image can you give me excuse me one second no problem. I'm just going to go grab a Kleenex because it's allergy season. I'll be right back. Back. Hi, welcome back. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think there's that, that weird, um, the weird realization that students will gradually come to that their teachers are in fact people that do things that don't transpire in the classroom or their offices that right that actually do and other I, things and i mean i don't directly teach um as far as my role goes but i do uh assist students a lot with how tools work and mm. how they should make models and things like that and cool. um it's it's a lot of fun. It can be kind of tiresome, but um, I've definitely 
run into students outside of the workplace. And it is so funny how they react because they're just like, oh, you're a real person? What are you, what are you doing, doing at PetSmart? <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing at PetSmart? Yeah, like, um, like we somehow collapse into one of our desk drawers and like revert to full size again when class is in session. Right. Or uh, the moment they realize that I'm a real person, suddenly it's, wait, so when is the lab open? And I'm just like, it's on the website. Just look at the website. I'm not doing that right now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm off hours. Uh, you can find it at this website pretty easily. I ran into a student at a show. I was at a, I forget which band. Maybe it was Stereo Lab. We're, we're lucky that everybody tours through Northampton, so I get to see a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of cool stuff. But there was a student at the same show. And I remember they saw me and they absolutely blanched, just turned white and then came up to me like, I, I, I promise I'll have that SAT tomorrow. I'm like, no. do I look like I'm fucking thinking about your essay right now? Do I look like that's at the top of my list of concerns? I'm at a show. I'm enjoying the band. You go over there. Enjoy the band. It's like, that's not... It's just, Yes, I'm, I'm here looking for students that aren't home writing. That's my sole function at this concert. Just right. To, just to bust them for being at a show. It's the most I bizarre just, thing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> just that turned is, white. That is so funny. I know. It's so weird. A teacher likes going to rock shows, too. Gosh, what? What? Teachers aren't supposed to do that. They're not supposed to have a life. God, I had a student. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's just so funny. There's this idea that we, we go out, we listen to loud music. We we might you might see us at a restaurant, or getting our nails right. did, or getting our, or just any of the things that happen within the <laughs> rich assortment of activities a human can engage in. <laughs> I wonder what uh, the phenomenon of the pandemic and Zoom classrooms has done to maybe reinforce the idea that teachers aren't human and do they just live in, in that behind the screen? I think I think one interesting thing about that having still been working during that time is the idea that not only have they now lost a connection with their teacher, which uh, my program was always a small program, so the students got a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with the faculty members and I I even before graduating knew you know my faculty members spouses and whatnot they nice. bring them to events and they were always as as bright and polite as uh the teachers were monotone um <laughs> <laughs> um but now because of the separation it's almost like the students don't always see each other as accessible. Yeah. Which I had to get onto a number of students recently, just being like, they were all trying to solve the same problem. All trying to source some material and they were all trying to figure it out. And I was like, guys, talk to each other. 
Y'all are all trying to do the exact same thing. <laughs> now is the Talk time to when each communication other. would really help. <laughs> like all of your problems would be solved if y'all just weren't together. So the, the whole concept that they could actually talk to each other and run things by each other wasn't obvious. Right. You had to bring that to to their attention. And what's That's funny wild. is they were all asking me. They were all asking me all at once. Like they were all standing next to each other as they were all asking me the same question. And I'm just like, guys, look to your left and look to your right. Y'all are all doing the same thing. There's this whole untapped together. resource. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely wild. Yeah, that's just so bizarre. I do love students, though. I, I do, too. They, I have a soft spot in my heart for some of the shenanigans that go go on. I'm, I'm still... I still am in contact with a lot of lot of my students and um some have gone on to do some really cool things um one has a million dollar vintage tube for tube amps business oh goodness yeah just hugely successful one's a really successful sound engineer and his band is doing pretty well too. A, a number of them are kind of like little rock stars actually. I'm super proud of that. A lot of them just went on to make their ways in life kind of outside of the mainstream. And if I had something to do that, I'll, I'll take credit and be proud of it. <laughs> right. I, it seems like a little bit more than uh, composition rubbed off. Yeah. Well, there, there's some, yeah. Well, um, I didn't just teach you know, you can't write unless you can think. Right. If you can't organize your thoughts, you're not going to organize them on paper. Mm -hmm. So actually my priority before anything got put to paper was teaching some critical thinking. As is, as is necessary, I think, in almost every field nowadays and i feel like it's sometimes... really being overlooked i think there's a lot of people that oh, don't have and... any abilities absolutely to analyze things like oh yeah the, the QAnon theory seems likely enough yeah i i, <sighs> I buy that 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 makes perfect sense it's like did you analyze that for five freaking seconds because it's <laughs> clearly ridiculous i just i uh, yeah, adrenochrome I mean... that sounds logical it's like really does it though oh, does it <laughs> pizza gate oh my god <laughs> i i just love all the loud screaming about save the children save the children from all oh the people goodness. who are equally loud and defending known pedophile matt gates right so which Absolutely. is it do we uh, do we care about you know actual teenage girls that or do we care about this uh, made-up thing that's not real? It drives me wild, everything to serve an agenda. It's a whole new satanic panic, I think. But yeah. it's a version, yeah. it's just a recycling of the same thing. And it, it's always just sort of like a conservative agenda. I guess I'm not going to push us too far into 
that political <laughs> direction. I could, I could go really, really, really far <laughs> down that rabbit hole. Oh, but <laughs> well, you know, talking about compositions of people. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and poorly composed ones at that. <laughs> indeed, indeed, they're missing some uh, key pieces. Uh, yeah, like, on that part, though, IQ points. What? <laughs> oh my gosh, I know. Um, <laughs> I imagine uh, some critical thinking skills is a key uh, component of a human composition. Yeah, well, I mean, they argue and base arguments on known logical fallacies. Oh, yeah. And, and it, 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 then it's not an argument. Then it doesn't hold up. Done. End. Over. So. I mean, the sheer, the sheer amount of cognitive dissonance within a lot of their arguments is baffling. And the self-contradictions. Mm. The mm-hmm. internal ones. I know. It's crazy. So, yeah, I didn't just teach... Um, you know, in in those first year writing courses, there's the Comp 101, which is getting your words on paper and making an essay. But then there's Comp 102, which is largely an intro to literature. Right. So there's that. That that's where I don't think I ever pushed in it, agenda, but I, I think maybe something in, in the type of the readings people are exposed to might encourage a more subversive approach to thinking than not. Right. And I, I, I'm, I'm cool with that. I, th- I think subversive approaches to thinking are are needed and we, we need to encourage lots of them. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Extremely important. Um, which honestly um, makes me think about composition not in and of itself but also um its relation to sort of originality Mm -hmm. and and looking at what is out there and drawing not necessarily plagiarizing parts of it but drawing from types of writing or types of music i know um or types of art a lot of times or types of art i know in the design field, and I always tell the first and second year students this, because they start to freak out about how am I going to make this work? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And I'm like, here's the thing. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. Look at what's out there. Look at what exists. More often than not, you're not creating originality. You're innovating what exists. Right. And taking your personal design language your personal design interest and implementing them on you know things that have existed for decades for centuries um i know i in my undergrad had to do a we we were each given vintage products and i had a vintage toast well toaster from the 40s so very much those are so um, stylish. I love the lines. lines. Oh, absolutely. The, the lines um, of those, they really, they're so just sexy. They're like curvy and stuff. Right. Um, and we were tasked with innovating it. We were tasked to making it modern. And so I was 
you know, very much keeping that same sort of shape and aesthetic. Thank you. But bringing I'm in so glad you did. Sort of, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that shape is absolutely iconic. It's so beautiful. Um, if, if anyone knows design history, I'm trying to remember the name of it, but they did call it the toaster for a while. Um, it was a mobile home, uh, specifically Chrome mobile home that uh was very popular in the 60s and the 70s um basically a trailer that <laughs> it it was always related to this toaster from the 40s because it had that same sort of like streamlined chrome sheen and shape just that wonderful shape was that um I, i'm a little bit of a design geek was that a raymond lowy is that name yes that was a raymond yes. lowy design. if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah there's um, there's a cool book you might want to get your hands on if it's still in print i owned it in the 80s it's just called the catalog of cool <laughs> and, i love that i mean how do you not right and it it is that it's just um largely cool designs right with an eye towards mod like yeah. the vintage paper dress which you know not not very um sustainable but some of those patterns were cool and you know warhol had a hand in making some of those right and then like the Oreo cookie, the design of an Oreo cookie is very, it's like a Raymond Lowy design in itself. If you just look at it just for its aesthetics, not as a food stuff, it's a cool design. I, I always, I always love to sort of learn about design and uh, origins and, you know, what these designers were thinking about. I know uh, one designer, uh, Dieter Rams. Mm -hmm was always very I always I sort of liked his mentality of design um well we don't really align that much but I always liked his mentality of design where it should never be obtrusive it should never you know be so showy that it's kind of obnoxious right it doesn't it, it should call fit. attention to itself right it should very much just fit in any room and just look like it had always been there. Yeah. Yeah. Now my son's a big design geek too. He has some classic pieces, but and, and now I'm forgetting the name of the designer that they're, they're super expensive. The couch that was famous. quite a lot. Yeah. It's like the Eames. The Eames. Eames he has some Ray, Charles and Ray Eames. He has some Eames pieces. Yes. The ant chair. I love that chair. <laughs> yeah. And he's got a few Eames pieces in his house. He, he's just very deliberate about it. He just have just kind of like a, a functional beater couch for a while and save and save and save till he could get the design element he wanted, then put that in his house and then right. next. Yeah. So we're actually pretty much design heads in this family too. We think about that. that stuff. 
Yeah, and what you're saying about that designer's notion about furniture, you know, you can take that same way of thinking and apply it to writing. Um, anytime your writing is calling attention to itself, like a combination of words and a page, mm -hmm. just kind of screaming, "Look at me! Look at me! I'm writing. See this, see this writerly turn of phrase." Then, then you want to get rid of that. Right. That's bad writing. It's the same with acting. If your acting says, look at me, I'm acting, then that's bad acting. You've got to cut it out. You're overacting. Right. I um, There's a movie that came out recently that I actually kind of want to see specifically for my interest in that uh, notion. Um, is it the, it's the Nicolas Cage movie that it's a, came out recently it's a new one. I'm trying to think of the name of it. It's, yes. It's not, it's With, not the one that came out like last year. It's not Pig, is it? No, 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 That no. was brilliant, um, by the way. Pig? Yeah. I had not Strongly seen it. recommend. Strongly. I will. I'm writing it All down. My I'm writing up. everything down. It's delightful. It's really good. This is one of the things I benefit from in this podcast is uh, hearing new things and adding them to my list. I just love um, your intellectual curiosity in a world where so many people have their minds dead bolted shut. It's refreshing to see one that's open and interested. I just, I can't imagine thinking I know enough. No, same here. Like, I, I can't even wrap my head around it. I think um, I think you, there will be there will always be something to learn. Always, I mean I I think I mean I don't want to sound morbid, but I think if you truly think you've learned all that there is to learn, and there's nothing new out there, then it might be time just to stop being alive because where's uh, uh, that's the whole that's the whole point is learning things and being surprised by things and discovering new stuff without that right um it was the unbearable weight of massive talent oh my god what a he's literally that's such playing a punny himself title. that's so punny um He's literally playing Nicolas Cage. Like, he's playing himself. I, I've got to see that. Yeah, I've heard about this. I think I saw a preview for it recently. I've got to see that. Right? Um, but I I agree, and I think, and I've had talks with my partner about this before, where a lot of times um, there are a lot of people in the world who feel like they can't learn from people younger than them. Oh, my God. Are they kidding? Which, I learned so much. Absolutely. I like, I can't even wrap my head around it because I feel like, I mean, I'm a millennial. Yeah. I feel like Gen Z, um, they are s smart in ways that I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. You know, down the, down the line, down the road, they will teach me things. Their kids will teach me things. Right. Um, I feel like to think that as an adult, as a as someone older than they are, I know more than they do, is it's just foolish to me. It is well. It, it what it is is it's just um, 
losing opportunities, winning, right, losing really valuable opportunities to learn new and interesting things. I, I learned stuff from very little people. I learned things from my, my grandchildren. And they're I know I quite little. I feel like my nieces teach it my nieces teach me things all the time. Right? Yeah. That that is that's the wonderful thing. Uh, my my son's my my son my husband's son is 15. He'll be home in a few hours and he's he's absolutely brilliant. I learn new things from him every single day. And I like being recommended things by people that age because that's how you don't get calcified in your tastes. That's how you know right. about like whether you enjoy it or not. And I do enjoy a lot of it actually, but you, you learn about like new, new phases in music and I think that's something that I try specifically to do with music. Me too. Um, just because <laughs> I will admit that I am not a music aficionado. I I really struggle with matching names to songs. Mm. Um, <coughs> I mean, I, I and deep so plan, it's but right. I kind of I it's need to be. It's very much like a concentrated effort of I need to learn more i need to i need to hear more i need to you know hear different types of music and like i'm certain that if i hear it i'll enjoy it or at least aspects of it um i'll hook you up with my and I'm my son's playlists he has a really vast very eclectic vinyl collection and for the past almost two years he's been making mixes with songs from each of mm -hmm. his with with a different theme for each mix and he puts them out through SoundCloud so he's on the right side of licensing laws and it's called mayathowl.com and that will get you exposed to a whole ton of stuff all at once I'm, I'm looking forward to it because yeah. I'm always looking for new music well, this, this is a big a big dose all at once um, funny enough, speaking of music, because I had I had pulled this sort of idea, and unfortunately, due to copyright laws, I can't exactly share it with you in the recording. Mm. Or I can, but I'm gonna edit it out. Um, but um, I don't know if you know uh, H. John Benjamin. Oh, yeah. love comedian. Yeah, love. Oh my God, Archer. Yeah. Absolutely, I adore that. And well, and then it, it's it's. Funny, um, the kind of whiplash you get from um, maybe coming to know that voice through Archer and then watching Bob's Burgers. Right. Because it's like, wait right. a minute, it was, it was this hot guy and now it's this guy. And then even more whiplash if you ever watched that short series. Um, H. John ben Benjamin has a van. I, I have not. It's funny. Um, it's funny. Um, th there weren't many of them. I, I don't know. Don't see me, H. John ben Benjamin. I think there were maybe six. Have episodes. you listened to his jazz album? Oh, my God. No. 
I think I'm going it's to called, have to own this. It's called Well I Should Have. Of course it is. And when I tell you it is the most hysterical thing I've I, ever oh listened my God. to in my I'm so entire life. I'm excited to get it. I'm I'm gonna play you a little I'm clip gonna, because oh my God, it thank is, you. I'm so excited. It is so funny. There it is. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> this is so good. Oh my god, it's the best thing ever. That is so good. So, yeah. Oh my god. Now I know what I'm getting my husband for for his birthday. <laughs> Um, the that's first going track into in the our album. collection. I and I want to. I've got to buy it on vinyl. That does so. Thank you so much for telling me about this rare and unusual treasure. <laughs> I'm so excited. So fantastic. So good. So fantastic. So good. It's the best thing it really ever. Is so good. The first track in the album is him trying to make a deal with the devil to learn how to play piano. I love and it. And Aziz Ansari plays the devil and. Uh, basically they go through this back and forth where he's like yeah you know I want to learn how to play jazz piano I have this album coming out and I don't know how to play piano at all and so you know I'm going to sell my soul and the devil is like or Aziz Ansari is like wait seriously like you're coming here first before you like actually <laughs> try to learn piano take a lesson <laughs> like <laughs> And he was like, yeah, well, I thought it was sort of like a quick fix. And and he's like, no, most people, like, they are they are masters in their field. They do it already really well. This is just so they are the best. <laughs> so he's, and he's like, wait, so you're not going to, like, take my soul? And he's like, yeah, it's a pass for now. <laughs> the soul unwantable to the devil. Well, that, that's just a twist on the Spengali story. What is that? Svengali, Svengali is a story of a performer who molded his young, often female protégés into lives of fame and fortune, but in exchange for basically just being his, like, kind of slaves. Gotcha. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It's, but it's, it's kind of a kind of rooted in that same mythology yeah i love that right. i can't believe you started here that's so funny but yeah and it what's funny what's funnier to me about it is the fact that by the end of the album you can almost sort of hear him getting better well also what he lacks for and i i actually do play piano um so what he lacks for in technique, it, he makes up for with raw enthusiasm. <laughs> and at least some amount of rhythm. Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> it, it just kind of reminds me of what it sounded like when like, my grandchildren were like three and four and would sit at my piano and just sort of bang to other things. 
That's so, so good. I'm so buying that on vinyl and putting it in our house. That's my favorite new discovery. I just wanted to share that with you. The moment I found that, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to share this. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to know about that. I feel like I shouldn't tell my husband. I feel like I should just keep it to myself and let him be surprised for his birthday. If I can hold it in, it's such an exciting discovery. Just absolutely act like it's 100% normal and it's going to be fantastic. I will. And then just see where it goes. I mean, there's, there's no reason not to assume that among as many accomplishments that H. John Benjamin wouldn't have musical skill. Oh, right. Absolutely. There's no reason to assume that. There's just, there's every reason <laughs> to think that's one of the many things he does extraordinarily well. <laughs> I think um, as far as comedy albums go, especially involving music, he knocked it out of the park. Um, it's so good. With his first try, just because it... Oh. I was I was dying laughing the first time I heard it. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. It's so good. Thanks so much for sharing that with me. That's a delightful You're discovery. Welcome. My favorite. See, and all those people who say you can't learn new things from younger people. I just learned something new <laughs> from Zach. <laughs> my I try. My favorite discovery of the day, actually. <laughs> um. But honestly, that made me think uh, whenever I was wanting to add that about composition as it relates to improvisation. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, because That's I imagine... That's so interesting uh, to think about. Like, designers have a toolbox. We we have, you know, hierarchies, spacing, color theory. Right, all right. These, all these different tools that we have to understand in order to make a good composition and I feel like in order to for a jazz musician they have to be able to understand the building blocks of music composition in order to improvise to the extent that it's actually good jazz and not uh, H. John Benjamin slapping a piano you gotta go get your kid yeah, my husband just popped in and be like, gotta go get Sebastian. That's his son. <laughs> Home from his second day of work at his first ever job he's had in his life. Because he's, oh, he's 15. So he's just, just you know, just starting that. Yeah, he's a... So, um, yeah, I actually did take some jazz piano with Khalif Neville, actually, son of Charles hmm. Neville of the Neville brothers. Hmm. Sort of noted and um <clears throat> excuse me with the, um with the warm weather comes the the tree pollens and the grass pollens and i'm afflicted it is the absolute same I'm here afflicted. <laughs> speaking of which baby could you get me more benadryl i'm out but um so for jazz improvisation there's the same thing there's a basic toolbox you you know mm-hmm. you know your chords you know how to identify a root note and you know a basic rule of like one two five first chord second chord fifth chord 
that yeah. would go well. Usually, you know, your your circle of flats. You have some music theory under your belt, and you know, that that's a sort of abbreviated version of the toolbox. But that's actually enough if you have those elements that um, you can sit down and sit in with a band and loosely just jam. Right. So I, I think the same thing applies across disciplines, which, you know, I'm so glad you made the theme composition because one of the big things I thought and write about and actually gave some talks about was um, a thing called WAC, which is writing across the curriculum. I actually spoke at a conference at Cornell years ago, a writing across the curriculum conference, and my panel was um, on teaching to multiple intelligences and letting multiple intelligences express themselves. Right. And, you know, cause someone might have more of a visual intelligence, someone might have more of a kinesthetic athletic intelligence, but they're all valuable and that's a, that's a recent way of thinking, by the way. It used to be just certain, yeah. certain more literal intelligences were taken uh, as being valuable. And just within the past like right. thirty years, it's like no, these are these these are all good. These are all important. So yeah, I, I'm so glad that you, you chose this because it gets me thinking about. Again, across disciplines, how this right. same set of principles applies and is useful. That's so interesting. I think that was right. Um, totally. Funny enough, whenever whenever my dad was in college, uh, he needed some extra course hours, and he ended up taking creative writing, and uh, he made it into D and D campaigns. Oh, here we go. Um, I see this segue. I, know. I see you. <laughs> I, as much as I said, I had nothing planned. I have planned out everything. <laughs> there's a madness. I mean, there's a method. There's a method to the madness. Oh, there's a madness there too. I love that. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I still have his D and D notes, his DM notes. Dungeon Master notes. And now was from... he just straight D and D, just the Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, at the time, yeah, he did. He did like second and third edition. Um, I have a uh, and limited experience with straight D and D, a little bit, but limited. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we we still have his notes on typewriter. Are they fantastic? Like... Oh, absolutely! I bet I they're mean, good I reading. Playing. I learned playing his campaigns. That's amazing. Um, that's that was my introduction so, to D and D. Do you currently DM? I do. Nice. I do, and I think there's a large part of joy for me in the improvisation of mm -hmm. it, where I would create a storyline, create a world, oh, and this is so, then yeah, it's improvised storytelling. Like, yeah, and have my players fill it. And sure, I have some amount of like, this is going on behind the scenes. 
So whether they end up interacting with that or not, it's still there, it's still present. Um, but more often than not, my players wrote their own stories and allowed me to sort of create a world around their stories um, that is always changing and moving and growing. And um, some of the, some of the aspects of it are really interesting. I know my partner plays uh, a bard who's basically immaculately conceived from an evil god. Oh, nice. And so my partner plays her very spunky and sassy and absolutely chaotic. And whenever, right, I, I created an interaction between her and this parent deity and um the deity is absolutely just as spunky and chaotic and passive aggressive and like neither of them take shits especially from each other oh how fun like they just <laughs> I, I that's so that's fun. something that i always loved yeah let me I don't know if it's gotten the respect it deserves if um, D&D and all the other role-playing gaming has gotten the respect it deserves just really as a way of creating stories. It, it is. just right. it, It's a, a form of writing narratives and creating a whole structure, creating a narrative arc building your characters, world building. I mean, there's so much that happens. Uh, My role-playing gaming, when I was doing my master's degree, I lived in Bemidji, Minnesota. Do you even know where that is? I don't blame you if you don't. I've never heard of that. I mean... Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so Bemidji is a little town that is equidistant between... Minneapolis and Winnipeg. Mm. So it's very far north. It's it's four hours north of Minneapolis, four hours south of Winnipeg. Gotcha. Right there on a lake. Cold as hell. Winter is eight months of the year. Oh, my goodness. No, seriously, because there's a lot of lakes. I mean, you know that about Minnesota. Everybody does. But... um, Mm-hmm. Even in June, often if you go to a lake to go swimming, there'd still be like patches of ice floating on top of the lake. Right. People would take shortcuts driving across lakes in the winter. Oh, gosh. Drive the truck, you know. Why drive around when you just drive across because it's frozen solid? That was a thing. I always consider trading eight months of uh, ungodly humid summer for eight months of winter. I mean, it was. It was pretty brutal our Bemidji State University had a very elaborate tunnel system mm-hmm. so we could go from building to building and the most bitter colds there were days when school would be canceled not because of precipitation not because of road conditions it could be um dry but just because the temperature is a wind chill 
was so cold that you couldn't go outdoors without risking freezing the liquid that surrounds your eyeballs. Oh my gosh. <laughs> For real. That's terrifying. <laughs> that For real. Absolutely terrifying. I'm going blind. <laughs> Just, it's so cold. You better not go outside because you'll go blind from freezing the liquid surrounding your eyeballs. Oh my gosh! How hilarious is that? Never mind. I'll stay down here. Is that the funniest thing ever, though? I don't know why. It's just that's hilarious to me. So anyway, I was obviously doing my masters in English, and um, my colleagues, a number of them were focusing more on creative writing. I was not, I, I'm into it, I do it, but I was more mm -hmm. PhD bound, more focusing on theory. But anyway, one of them, God, can I remember his name? I think his name is Daryl Hardy. He and a couple other people, I think there were five of us total, he put together a role-playing campaign and this is mm -hmm. all people doing, you know, advanced degrees in English, crafting right. our characters and doing our writing. So it was pretty deep stuff. And the campaign that we played was Call of Cthulhu. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I guess I made it my goal to create the most perplexing unsympathetic character <laughs> I, I wanted the character to be absolutely unsympathetic but absolutely um deceptive so god can i this is a long time ago this was like 25 years ago um yeah if i recall correctly she was a child psychologist who was also a cannibal who preferred <laughs> children to eat. So that's how <laughs> <laughs> And there is the uh, unsympath unsympathetic nature of your character. Um, well, it, that was a sharp left turn, and I live it. <laughs> I live for it. That is, that is fantastic. Well, it, it, you know, well, I, had to, I had to create a path whereby she might attain her prey. So, right. you know, Johnny has been exhibiting these behavior appointments and <laughs> And I, I don't know, I had this whole elaborate thing for like how she disposed of the bodies and how she concealed the evidence. And I can barely remember the details because it was really a long time ago. But I think that, that was that was my character. I uh, wholly <laughs> in every single part of my body want to add that character in some sort of way as a mini villain for for my players. I mean she's got just because the, that there's is something to it, right? Now Call of Cthulhu, you know, and, and I've read a lot of Lovecraft too. It's a very Lovecraft mm -hmm. 
even though let's just say it right here and now and be very clear about the fact that um lovecraft was a despicable human being hugely bigoted anti-semitic homophobic but at the same time it seems like he had um himself a neurotic and irrational fear of women and was deeply misogynistic. So this dude was mixed up and fucked up in a thousand very notable ways. So I just want to put put that right out there. I hope just throughout all of time for every Lovecraft that we have, we have a Stephen King who uh, is more redemptive. Oh, absolutely. Can deal in horror and suspense and thriller uh, all while being just a good person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's uh, kind of made himself a, into a better person. He, he had his demons. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the, the, the father in The Shining was loosely autobiographically drawn and he had he had to quit some drug and drink problems and he had to quit some abusive tendencies and yeah you can you can see an evolution of his um, female characters so I'll just put that out there mm-hmm. but have you read The City We Became? I have not. I need to look up the name list. of the author, I read it, um, and I can't remember her name, and then I gave my copy to a friend because I belong to two book clubs, and sometimes I end up with too many books in the house. But anyway, <laughs> th- that woman is brilliant. Oh, God, I need to look up her name. There's a talk she gave with Neil Gaiman, too, that's worth listening to. So mm-hmm. the, the City We Became is inspired by um, Lovecraftian monsters and indeed has, like, these kind of tentacle monsters that right here but she takes what love craft was doing and um well what she does with it racially and redemptively is super super interesting I don't know. Um, I was looking it up. Or is it uh, N.K. Jemison? Yes. Yes. She's um, a straight-up genius. She's amazing. It's uh, basically your description of it, though, uh, was reminding me of um, a show that came out on HBO not too long ago. Um it was very much, uh, and it was such a great show, and they canceled that after one season, which is uh, oh, so no, hateful. I hate when that happens. Um, but it was very drawn from those same sort of Lovecraftian um, topics and tropes, and also sort of looking at uh adventure tropes so it wasn't diving into tombs and things like that underground railroad was it no um one based on the colson whitehead novel which is also brilliant um love love and i don't know why i didn't think of it because it has lovecraft in it lovecraft country i saw it i saw Um, it that was amazing that was so good i love me too me and my partner it was amazing watched it 
all the way through. I am so disappointed that they canceled Me too, it. Too actually, that was really brilliant. It was um, really, really well because, done. I mean, heck, that show taught me things that I, I didn't know about prior to watching that show. Um, I mean, I didn't know about Sundown Towns, and um, how scary is that? It's terrifying. I know. Absolutely terrifying. It's so brutal. And I think, I think that's something that sort of worked so well in that show was. Uh, uh, basically creating an equivalency between the fear of being black in, you know, Jim Crow era, the United States, especially in Southern states. I know. And, and Lovecraftian horror, which in and of itself is terrifying. Right. Um, And I, I always thought, especially towards the end of that show, Try not to say any spoilers, um, but sort of the reclamation of identity. Oh, wait, Lovecraft Country? I've seen the whole thing. Yeah, well, I mean, for any listeners who. Oh, yeah, those. I'm so selfish. I'm like, well, I've seen it. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm good. Go ahead, Zach. Um, Say the ending. (laughs) But, but, uh, sort of the reclamation of identity. Um, and not only the Lovecraftian horror aspect of it, but also their identities as African-Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, this, that show was stellar. And I, that's, that's it's, it's based on a book though, isn't it? Yes. If I'm not mistaken. So I think it is too. Um, so, so could it be that it was only one season because it got to the end of the, plot of the book and it just didn't go off book i'm just I imagine that's possible that out there, um you know right i i i would say um i think controversial topics tend to get have a harder time passing certain points like that i mean looking at george R. R. martin and um you know the song of fire and ice that whole series mm-hmm. uh Game of Thrones and how the books weren't done when the show finished. Right. Um, I, I never so, watched Game of Thrones. I, I actually I watched um the first episode, and I think the thing was I I watched the first episode with my son, who's who's grown. Mm-hmm. He's a grown ass man. He's like, well, you should see this, mom. But I'm. There's something just like so ooji and uncomfortable about like oh cool 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 so I'm watching this thing like about um incest with my kid that's great that's right. super comfortable yeah right. this is an experience <laughs> I definitely want to repeat so <laughs> therefore right. therefore um, I didn't repeat no. the experience ever again <laughs> definitely seeing um a lot more parts of women's bodies than I um, prefer you know, ever see. <laughs> yeah. um, than I prefer to sure. see. Fair um, with my with my parents in the same room. Uh, that's that's um, very uji. That's my word for how that feels. It's just super uncomfortable. Um, but sort of that being being written, both the show and the books 
almost not necessarily in tandem, but at least in parallel, um, because they do sort of stray from each other a little bit. Um, I I hope that that's not the case for Lovecraft Country that they they didn't see an opportunity in in pursuing it further. Um, just because it it was such good storytelling. It was and and the idea that controversial topics can't be talked about through the lens of, you know, fantasy and horror. Um, I mean, looking at heck, get out and get uh, out so brilliant. Us and um, I love get out. I still need to see us. I really want to see us. It is it is very scary and very very good it's so good i heard it was phenomenal um i'm i'm ready for their uh his next movie uh nope i think it is yeah i need to i need to catch up with us we're, we're bad about i mean we do watch movies but we can be bad about them since we just have a, a series we're working on and right like Right now, we've been kind of making our way through Ozark. I I need to catch up with Ozark because I I enjoyed the first two seasons um, very much. It was and there there are quite a few shows like that. Um, thinking uh, Breaking Bad or um, there's Weeds. Weeds is a good one. Um, yeah, Ozark's amazing. It's really good. Actually, you know, what when you're talking about Lovecraft Country and just the things you're learning about black experience mm-hmm. in America and just how how truly brutal it was. My other book group, we're reading something you might want to put your hands on. Um, it's called Nice White Ladies. The truth about white supremacy, our role in it, and how we can help dismantle it. By Jesse Daniels. And although you're not a nice white lady, obviously, um, the mirror holds up to the ways that we've been implicit in just creating generational trauma. Um, no, I'll definitely look into that. Um, I know, especially through drag, um, because drag and the African American experience have a lot of interesting ties. Yeah. Um, even today, with sort of implicit bias of sort of creating spaces for black entertainers and the viability of the spaces, which is sometimes looking at those. um, I wonder why those problems even exist because it doesn't make sense to me all Mm -hmm. the time. People being biased against a different race. Like it, it doesn't always. It doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make sense. No. I it's hard to wrap my head around. Um, and I know as as a white cis man, it's sort of my prerogative and honestly my obligation to understand mm-hmm. those aspects of 
whiteness and work on those things in myself. Right. I, I mean, implicit bias is, it's just there. We're, we're, we're trained it. We're exactly. taught it. We all have to start from the assumption that whether we're consciously performing the behavior or not, there's a bias that's been ingrained in us generationally that we need to be conscious of and work vigilantly right. against. But just this denial or my favorite, probably the most offensive racist thing a person can say is like, well, I don't see color. And, you know, what is that saying to a person of color other than I don't see you? Right. I, I just don't see it's, you. I don't see color. It's so bad. It's the most offensive thing ever. I'm colorblind. It's like, oh, God, start well, again. And all, all those same conversations of, like, all lives matter versus Black oh, Lives Matter. Oh, my God. And don't I get actually, me started on those people. Right. So punchable. Well, I, I had a very good conversation with Amanda from the SIP list that I had mentioned before, um, where she was like, you know, initially I was sort of seeing the all lives matter. It's like, of course, all lives matter. Why, why, why would anyone say otherwise? But it's learning and understanding and listening that which lives are under siege. People are dealing with, right. Yeah. People are dealing with harder problems than we are right. right now. Like people are dealing with struggles that we don't have to deal with. And so to say, well, all lives matter. It's like, yes, all lives do matter, but black lives are facing more hardship than white lives are. Right. A lot of minorities are facing more hardships than yeah. white people are. Um, and I think understanding that and accepting that and trying to make the world a better place against that truly being anti-racist um, is paramount. Yeah. Super important. I, I, you just don't hear about cops mistaking their gun for a taser in the accidental death of a white person, you know, for instance. For instance. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I in such a pleasant direction. <laughs> so, it was teamwork. Yeah, I know. I guess we both just pushed it there. It's like, let's go here. Well, it was it was all um, Lovecraft country, and that's just the natural. Right. And not to bring up nice white ladies would have been an oversight. So, in it goes. I can pull it back a little bit to Call of Cthulhu. Read the N.K. Jemison, The Cities We Became. You will absolutely adore it. Mm -hmm. You'll love it so much. And if you get the hardcover, the dust jacket does a thing. You can put an app on your phone and you can animate the cover art. That's How cool. fun is that? I love, I love things that do that. I know they have the uh, wine the bottles. The living wines? Have... With the prisoners? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, I, I, that's our I favorite that. wine to bring to dinner parties um, as dinner party guests because we're bringing wine and entertainment. Right. Yeah. I've literally written down like every single <laughs> book and author and... Uh, I think I've made a, made a syllabus almost. 
I I live for it. I am thankful for it. <laughs> I am interested to add these books to my collection. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thank you so much I'm for so joining me. I'm so glad I did. This has been a lovely, long, luxurious chat. I mean, I live for uh, you know two and a half hour conversations. I love it. That's that's how I know that I've I've done a good podcast episode and and the conversations. Yeah, I do long form with mine too. I really like to st- and we we have a similar structure or um, lack thereof, sort of. I I don't <laughs> interview so much as just get people chatting. Right. And I actually tell my guests to pretend that they're just coming to my house for a meal, and what would we talk about? What if we're if we're out for dinner together? What would we talk about? And just go from there. Right. I like that. Well, and I think I think that's important, especially. Uh, I live for tangents. I live Me for Me too. I love a tangent. Going down a path and then going down another path and then going down a, another path. Where do and they lead? And, yeah, and, and it's, I think if you cut off those um, side passes, tangential asides that happen, there's whole other discoveries and avenues that open up that are so rich and so interesting. And if you cut those off and just try right. to stick to an outline, you're going to miss out. So we have Absolutely. a very similar philosophy about how to do this. I love that. Um, do you have social media? That you yes, watch? please. Um, so I can be followed on Twitter at Elizabeef. So my name, but B-E-E-F. Um, there is a Meet for Tea Facebook page. There is a Meet for Tea cast mm-hmm. Facebook page and there is a meat for tea Instagram page and I haven't fucked with TikTok yet but I might neither have I I know <laughs> I'm pretty sure I follow most of those <laughs> I, I feel like you can you can see a lot of them just on Instagram so I'm like why go to a whole other platform but I could eat those words. You never know. I'm not. I'm not big on like sticking firmly to my opinions. I am trying to post clips on on TikTok. It um, is very slow. Going. Is it a bitch? Is it? Uh, oh, it's it's. Is it arduous? It a little bit. A little bit. I have dread. <laughs> Just a I have dread. Um, can I tell people that we're if you have writers. And artists that listen, um, Meet for Tea is currently open for submissions. From now through um, May 22nd is the deadline to submit work for the mugwort issue. Please do not approach themes literally. That's boring and dumb. Have fun with them. 100% send me that link so I can post it in the show notes. Because uh, I definitely want to share that. Yay, yes. Um, to everyone that's been listening, uh, especially this long, because this is going to be a long episode, because um, so much good this conversation. This is delightful. Oh, we're about. friends now. You'll come to visit, right? I'm a very Absolutely. good guy. I don't tempt me. I've got my homemade <laughs> sourdough bread sitting on the counter right now. Wait, do you want to see it? I really want sourdough want bread. Okay. Yes, please. 
Can I see it? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh wow, it's beautiful. I know y'all can't see this, but it is beautiful. Ta-da. Isn't it? Absolutely. If you can, send me a picture of that so I can post it on Instagram as the last People picture. People will be coming to my house. <laughs> I absolutely will. This has been so, so much fun, Zach. It's just been truly a treat to get to know you. And likewise, to likewise. Talk about I'm so glad we did body this. horror and Cthulhu and Lovecraft and everything else. <laughs> and jazz. Bad All jazz. under the theme, the one unifying theme of composition. Who knew it would go that many places? I had a suspicion and that's why I am so happy and that's why it is better left unsaid. Brilliant. If y'all enjoyed this podcast make sure to give us a five-star review and leave a comment because we love that stuff if you hated it and you want to give us a one-star review go ahead and send that directly via email to blunsaid.podcast at gmail.com okay you can leave just a big one star okay it's so much easier we will see it so much better than having it on our uh you know actual reviews page um, if you want to send us themes or any sort of embarrassing stories, you can also send them to that email. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at uh, BL Unsaid Podcast. If you want to find us on Instagram, it is BL underscore Unsaid. And if you want to listen to the latest episode, you can find it at betterleftunsaid.podbean.com. Thank you. Bye-bye.